And here in this section in 2 Timothy 4, and we'll start, of course, where we finished last week at verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, he's giving some final instructions, final request to Timothy. Um, it looks like very practical matters, but it's amazing text. We can talk about loneliness. Uh, we can talk about how Paul was not afraid to um, express his needs to Timothy and ask for what he needed. Um, we get to talk about the different people that he'll be mentioning. Uh, we get to talk about um, Paul's amazing ability to uh, create and nurture deep friendships, which is rather fascinating when you think about how much time Paul spent on the road with his four missionary journeys. But somehow, even with all that travel, and travel took a whole lot more time back then than it does now, even with all that travel, he was able to create and nurture deep, deep friendships. Um, there's even an interesting text here that I think has great bearing on um, the New Testament concept and doctrine of healing and praying for healing and healing in the life of the early Christian community and, um, um, and healing in our life today in the Christian community. So um, when you run across these practical sections in Paul, don't just think they're a simple to-do list or request list and, and, and run past them. There, there's some amazing stuff here. So, with that wetting your appetite, look, look, at, look, at, look at chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, he makes it obvious now what he wants Timothy to do. Again, Paul's in Rome. He's in prison, Mamertine prison, facing death. Uh, he, he greatly anticipates that. That's what he expects, and that is what will happen, most of us assume. Um, Timothy is the pastor, young pastor, young leader of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is an amazing, amazing city. It's one of the preeminent cities in the ancient world, which that's important to know because Timothy was leading it. Uh, Ephesus is the place where Paul spent more time than anywhere else, any other single place during his missionary journeys. Uh, he, he spent um, probably 18 months, give or take a few months, in Corinth. Um, that was the second most extended place he lived during his missionary journeys. But the, the longest he lived was Ephesus for really, really good reasons. Ephesus, you have a letter to the church of the, in Ephesus, the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. Uh, Ephesus was a major city. Um, a, a, a slight commercial. Next year, my group that I'll take overseas will be, we'll do Paul and we do Ephesus. Ephesus has probably also the most extensive um, excavations. I mean, it's just the ancient city of, Ex of Ephesus, what you have there. There's no modern Ephesus. It's just the ancient city of Ephesus. And the ruins of at Ephesus, which are amazing, you can feel like you're going to see Paul walk in the streets among the ruins of Ephesus today. Uh, it's, it's much more, I think, much, much more um, dramatic and extensive than what you see in the Forum in Rome. But anyway, Ephesus, major city in the Christian, early Christian world. 
uh, Timothy's pastor there, which is rather amazing. He's the leader of the church in Ephesus. So Paul's in prison. He's, 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 he's asking Timothy to come to him while he still has some time left. Uh, he has already said that. He's given the charge to Timothy. Uh, we assume he wants Timothy to take over, um, leading the early Christian commun- commu- community after Paul's gone. But here in, in this uh, personal section, and this is Paul's most personal letter, and this is the most personal section of Paul's most personal letter, um, he, he makes it obvious. Look at verse 9. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Um, I hope you feel the emotion there. He wants Timothy. He wants Timothy soon. Um, he misses Timothy. He wants Timothy's companionship. And he's facing death. He, he probably doesn't have long to live. So he, he's wanting Timothy to come soon. Do your best to come to me soon. And here he starts with just a list of things he wants to tell Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, Demas is mentioned a couple other places in Paul's letters. He's mentioned in um, Colossians. He's mentioned in Philemon. Evidently, Demas uh, was a co-laborer with Paul at some point. But Demas has left him. Demas has abandoned him, deserted him. Uh, I suspect you probably have experienced that feeling in your life at some point. Someone that you think is going to be there for you from now on. All of a sudden, he's not. And, and, and Paul tells you the reason for Demas in love with this present world. Um, has deserted me. And he uses the word desert, has deserted me. Um, Demas evidently decided there was something more important than, than his faith in Christ, than uh, sharing the gospel uh, with the world of his day. So Demas, we don't know exactly what all Demas did, what that looked like for Demas to say that I, I, there, there, there's things in this world that attract me more than Christ, more than the mission. So he's deserted me and he's gone back to Thessalonica. Um, Thessalonica was a major city in, in Greece. Uh, it was a major city in Paul's day. It's still a major city. If you ever travel to Greece, there's only two large cities in Greece. Today, Thessalonica and Athens. Uh, the rest of the country is pretty much small villages. Um, Thessalonica is still a major city. Uh, that's um, where Paul went. That's why you have two letters in the New Testament to the Christian community in Thessalonica, or as they say, Thessaloniki. Um, But uh, Thessalonica was a major city in Greece. Uh, That's where Demas has gone. Christians has gone to Galatia. So that's another one of Paul's friends that has uh, abandoned him, has gone to Galatia. Galatia is a region in what we today call Turkey. Uh, It could be the northern part of Turkey or the southern part of Turkey. And again, you've got... Paul's, one of Paul's oldest letters after 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letter to the Galatians. That's another region that Paul went through um, a couple times on his missionary journeys. So Christians has gone there. Titus to Dalmatia. Dalmatia is another region. Um, that's to the east 
of, of what we would call Greece. So Titus was a close friend of Paul. Again, you got 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. You got a letter to Titus. Uh, Titus was a, a co-laborer, traveling companion with Paul. Uh, Titus is not with him either in Rome. Uh, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Um, I assume that's where those dogs come from, the Dalmatians. Uh, but there was an ancient re- region called Dal- Dalmatia um, in the Bal- on the Balkan Peninsula. Anyway, look at, look at verse 11. Luke alone is with me. That makes me think very highly of Luke. Luke alone is with me. What's Luke's profession? He's a doctor. In Colossians, he's called the beloved physician. He's a doctor. Um, Not a bad person to have with you when you're in prison. Because again, I've mentioned several times in the ancient world, no one ever told the Romans they needed to care for their prisoners. That didn't make sense to them. So they did not care for their prisoners. They just put you in a hole somewhere till the, till you were tried, and then there was the sentence. But um, uh, so Luke is with him. Doesn't mean in prison, but Luke is evidently there in Rome with him. Um, I mentioned way back when, if you remember, that Luke is probably uh, Paul's what the scholars call an amanuensis. That's just a fancy term for secretary. Paul is, Paul, we, we know Paul used secretaries. He names them. He tells you like then the Galatians when he actually picks up the, uh, the quill and, and writes some himself in the letter because typically he's not the writer. He's the author, but he's not the writer. He dictates. He used secretaries to whom he dictated and the secretaries would, would write and edit and construct the letters, uh, which is why I think we find some variety um, in Paul's letters, depending on which secretary he was using. I think for Timothy, he's using Luke. Um, one of the reasons, besides this text right here that says Luke alone is with me, one of the reasons we know that is the similarities between Second Timothy and the other two books that Luke himself wrote and authored, which are what? The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So there's similarities. Uh, we, we, can, we can discern Luke's... Um, uh, scholarship in the writing. So Luke is with him. And Luke is only one with him. Luke alone. And that word alone just jumps out at me. Luke alone is with me here in Rome. Because again, if, if, if you are in prison because the empire has something against you, um, that usually doesn't bode well for your followers or your friends. Just like um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you remember what all the disciples of Jesus did that night. They fled. Um, that's, that was typical when Rome arrested somebody. You, you would flee because it made perfect sense that they came after your leader, they'd come after you too. Because Rome's concern uh, was not theology. Rome's concern was uh, rebellion, law, order, paying taxes. So um, any group that didn't do those sort of things, they, they as a group would run afoul of the Roman Empire. So, um, you know, I understand. I mean, I do, do understand uh, why Christians has, has, has left, why Titus has left. Um, I get it. 
uh, preservation's a, a basic human need, but uh, makes me really think a lot of Luke. Luke is staying there. If, if Paul is getting fed in prison, it's because Luke's bringing him some food. Um, again, Rome did, never thought they needed to care for their prisoners. Uh, so if, if you were a prisoner in the Roman Empire, somebody else had to bring you food. So Luke, along being with him, was was beneficial on lots of reasons. Besides being his secretary, besides pending this letter to Timothy, besides meeting the, the personal needs of um, Paul there in prison. Luke alone is with me. Now here's something that's absolutely amazing. They could almost be a sermon series, and people ignore it. Look at what he says next. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. This Mark is John Mark. Now, um, do you remember back in the book of Acts, Paul's experience with Mark? He ran away. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Mark brought division to Paul's movement. Mark came between Paul and Barnabas. Mark was young. Mark was a traveling companion with Barnabas and Paul until Mark went home to mommy. That's, that's my opinion. But Mark left Paul, and it ticked Paul off royally. It divided Paul and Barnabas. Um, uh, it, it, it divided Paul and Barnabas. That's when Barnabas sort of faded away and um, Paul picked up other traveling companions. Um, so it didn't end well. The relationship did not end well between Paul and John Mark. But here's Paul in prison. And notice what he has said. I want John Mark. I want John Mark. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Um, this makes me think even more highly of Paul. We have no evidence. I mean, it could have happened. We have no evidence that there's been a reconciliation in the interim. We have no evidence that um, they got back together somehow in the interim. Um, so if we just go on what we have in the New Testament, what we have right here is Paul's facing death, and Paul's going to be the bigger man. And Paul's going to make it right. Though I agree with Paul. Mark went home to mommy. Mark jettisoned the mission. Mark walked away from the task. He was young. But here's Paul being the bigger person. Saying to Timothy, bring Mark with you when you come. Uh, don't know where Mark's at. Maybe he's in Ephesus. Bring Mark, John Mark, with you when you come. Uh, yeah, that could be a sermon series on forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, God calls us to forgive. Then after you forgive, there's that additional work of reconciliation. And God may or may not call you to reconcile with the person you've forgiven. If that person was an abuser in your life, God may not call you to reconcile with that person. But after you forgive that person keep that person's behavior from controlling the rest of your life. After you forgive that person, then you have to ask God, God, do you want me to reconcile with that person? 
And, you know, if you, if, you, if you get the word that God wants you to reconcile, that's harder work. Yeah, there's, there's people I forgive and I still don't want to hang out with them. Don't want to go to supper with them. Not going to turn my back on them. I'd rather spend time with other folks. And, you know, sometimes God doesn't say do, the, do, do part B. Do the work of res- reconciliation. That's a, that's a separate work after, after forgiveness. Uh, Paul is wanting, obviously, to reconcile. He's saying something good about John Mark here. He's useful to me. Um, I think the implication is he's useful to me for ministry. Therefore, he'll be useful to you, Timothy, after I'm gone. You two need to get back together for the sake of the cause. For the sake of the cause, Paul's willing to let his grudge, his hurt, his pain, his irritation with John Mark get out of the way and reconcile so that Mark, John Mark could be useful for the cause again, for the, for the ministry. Um, yeah, that makes me feel good about, makes me feel good about Paul. And it's challenging to me because I've still got some John Marks running around in my life and I'm not ready to tell them, come see me yet. You know, God may get me to that point. God may get me to that point. But, um, yeah, it's amazing the people who ignore these little personal things at the end of Paul's letters. And there's really good stuff. Get, Get Mark and bring him with you for he is a very useful for ministry. Go to the next one, Tychicus. Yeah, there's a name for your grandchild, Tychicus. <laughs> Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Um, I think the implication is Tychicus is the one delivering the letter. Tychicus is the one that Paul is sending to Ephesus with this letter to deliver to Timothy to call Timothy to Rome. Tychicus is sending him the letter. Um, So um, evidently Paul has a lot of trust in Tychicus. Anyway, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. Again, notice these friends around Paul. He had these circle of friends around him um, that actually had evidently had a great deal of respect for him and and he trusted them. He had a deep relationship with them. Paul could do friendship, and I, I do believe, by the way, in our, in our age, friendship is almost a lost art. Um, you can't have a thousand friends, and it's hard to have two or three good friends, but it takes effort to do that. Anyway, Paul could do it, even with all of his travels. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Look at 13. When you come, Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. What do you think he wants his cloak? (laughs) Right, he's cold. Rome doesn't have any desire to give him a coat in that cold prison, that cold underground dungeon prison. So yeah, he's just cold. He needs his coat. Um, He left it with Carpus at Troas. Um, A lot of us read this, and we hope we're not reading too much into it. I I, I think that's where you got arrested at. I think he got arrested in Troas. That's why he didn't even have time to get his coat and some other things you'll see in a moment. So he, he, he left his coat with Carpus, another friend, uh, Aquinas, friend, Carpus with Troas. 
Um, Troas is there um, near Ephesus. Uh, Troas is north of Ephesus. Um, um, it's north of Ephesus. Um, maybe, yeah, may, may, maybe, maybe um, the site of ancient Troy, Troas. So I think that's where Paul got arrested. So I left, I left my coat with Carpus at Troas. Also, he's saying now, and this warms my heart, bring my coat. And notice the next two things he's wanting to be brought with his coat. His books and above all the parchments. Yeah, that warms my heart. Uh, I might have even asked for my books before I asked for my coat um, to be brought. Um, there are two terms here, books and parchments. Wouldn't you love to know what these books were? That haven't, hasn't stopped us from guessing. Probably books are scrolls. I need to say a word about books in a moment. These are scrolls. Um, scrolls and parchments. Um, most of us divide this up as far as scrolls, something that's been written upon, some documents. Uh, parchments may be the writing material. Uh, I know Paul well enough, he's a close friend of mine, that if he does live longer, I know what he's going to be doing. He's going to be writing some more letters. So he needs, he needs, his, he needs his parchments, his, his vellum, his animal skins that, to write letters on. Uh, the books or the scrolls. <clears throat> um, our guess, my guess, Old Testament documents, books of the Old Testament, his sacred text. I mean, those would be dear to Paul, what we call Old Testament. Uh, he may have, uh, he may have what was circulating by this point, because you do know by this point the Gospels have not been written, right? Shake your head, yes. Gospels have not been written by this point. Uh, you don't need a Gospel when you go have a chat with Peter. Gospels have not been written at this point. Um, but we, we are all fairly convinced that before the Gospels were written, uh, sayings of Jesus circulated. We actually have what we think may be some examples of those, such as what's called the Gospel of Thomas, just a list of sayings that Jesus said. So these, these books, scrolls, could be Old Testament documents, could be sayings of Jesus, could be even copies of previous letters, that Paul wrote. Um, yeah, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to know us in Paul's library? Even his small library that could be transported from Ephesus. Because again, Paul stayed the longest period in Ephesus that he stayed in any one single spot. So he, he collected some things when he was in Ephesus. So he says, Timothy, bring my books. Now one thing you do need to know since you're, I'm assuming your translation says books, at this point, is you need to know they're not books. Um, we Christians invented books. Do you know that? We had scrolls. You know, uh, when Jesus and Luke 4 is in the synagogue and, you know, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read from. They had scrolls in the ancient world. We Christians invented books, which what books were 
the fancy word is codices, what books were, we were, we were a mobile religion. Paul, Paul put travel in our DNA. Paul put missionary work in our DNA. We Methodist preachers still itinerate. That's the word we use. We, we're not quite circuit riders anymore, but we still itinerate. DNA in, our, in Christian DNA is travel. So the Christian community realized real fast, scrolls are not the most convenient thing to carry around with you when you're traveling. So some of the early Christians got smart enough to know, let's chop these scrolls up and bind them together in, in, in sections about this big. And when you chop a scroll up and bind it together, um, guess what you get? You get a book, codice. So we Christians were among those who invented the books that you know because we finally realized scrolls were just a pain to carry around. And... Um, so these are really scrolls he's still calling for. Uh, codices start happening pretty early, but probably not by this point. So he's saying, bring my scrolls and bring my blank scrolls. Bring my vellum, bring my animal skins with you, because I may want to do some more writing. Um, parchments could actually also mean um, uh, some more written material, but most of us tend to say, think the reason there's both mentioned here. His stuff that's written on his books, his scrolls, and, and the blank stuff, perhaps, his writing implements. Because uh, if he does not die, because he, he, he knows he's dying, who knows how long, you know, bureaucracies move slow. You know that, don't you? So who knows how long he's going to be a prisoner for Rome. And remember, um, we, we've got um, at least six letters from Paul that we call prison epistles. Paul always made good use of his time in prison. He, he wrote stuff. While he's in prison, like like um, Second Timothy, but he wrote several of his letters while he's in prison. So yeah, he he'd keep writing. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd keep writing. Um, notice the next sentence. Um, yeah, this may be the last thing I want to look at this morning. Look at verse fourteen. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, Timothy, for he strongly opposed our message. Um, wish I knew more about, Alec, about, about, about Alexander the coppersmith. Wish I knew more about him. Um, don't know a lot about him. Uh, we, we, we suspect he may be the same he may be the same person that's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Um, if you want to, since 1 Timothy is real close to 2 Timothy, go ahead and look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, Paul there says, um, uh, we got to look at the beginning of a sentence. Look at verse 18 so you can get a whole sentence. Uh, this is 1 Timothy, a very different letter from 2 Timothy, but still a letter from Paul to Timothy. This charge I entrusted you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may uh, wage the good warfare, holding the faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. There's that name Alexander again. Whom I've handed over to Satan, that they that they may not, um, that they may learn not to blaspheme. 
Um, so here's two people mentioned by Paul in 1 Timothy, Hymenaeus and, and this Alexander, who have made shipwreck of their faith, who Paul has handed over to Satan. You ever heard the word excommunicate? Yeah, that's where we Christians start this stuff. We started excommunicating people. There are some things worth putting you away from the fellowship for a while to get your act together. So, yeah, that's, that's Paul termed it, handing them over to Satan. To put them outside the Christian community was to put them outside the realm of salvation. So uh, maybe this is the same Alexander. Back to 2 Timothy. Maybe this is the same Alexander. We don't know. Alexander was not an uncommon name. Uh, in the in the ancient Greco-Roman world, maybe the same, um, maybe the same Alexander, a bad guy, uh, someone that Paul has already excommunicated or disciplined. Um, you, you see his profession. What's his profession? Coppersmith, metal worker. Uh, remember in Ephesus, and you actually see the same thing happen in book. Yeah, there's reference in the book of Acts, but I'm sure it happened in other places. When Paul would come to town, the early Christians would come to town, and they would preach Jesus. And part of preaching Jesus was to attack polytheism, attack idolatry. So sometimes um, the, the, the metalworking business went south when the Christian faith started spreading. Because one of the things middle workers did was made little idols. So in, in, in Acts, you see them having a riot going after Paul. You mess with people's income or, or business, it irritates them. We, sometimes we put way too much uh, stock in our, in our ability to earn money. So, um, yeah, Paul was frequently irritating metal workers uh, because the Christian faith said you had to do something with all those idols that you have. Maybe that's why this coppersmith, again... Uh, Paul, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus, and we have evidence that in Ephesus the, the, the metal workers went after Paul uh, because um, uh, Ephesus was known particularly for its statues of Diana, the pagan goddess Diana, which if you go Google Diana, this is your trivia for today. If you go Google Diana, she was the many-breasted goddess Go look at her pictures of her statues. We have them. Yeah. So uh, uh, Ephesus was uh, uh, particularly fond of Diana, the many-breasted goddess. Paul, not so much. So when Paul came into town and preached Jesus, uh, the, the, the pagan idol-making industry always took a hit. So maybe that's why Alexander the coppersmith did Paul great harm. And thus... Um, Paul says, Paul does not say, I want the Lord to repay him. And by the way, I think we know what Paul means by the Lord repaying Alexander. The Lord will judge Alexander. Uh, Paul doesn't say, and, and the Greek tense is fairly clear here. Some English translations um, make it more obvious than others. Um, Paul is just saying the Lord will repay Alexander. Now, Paul's a friend of mine. I think Paul is okay with the fact that the Lord's going to repay Alexander. But Paul knows not to ask the Lord to repay Alexander. Um, yeah, but he knows that he, he knows, Paul knows that he doesn't need to take care of Alexander. He doesn't need to do revenge, take vengeance, because the Lord will, Lord will take care of Alexander. We don't have to be our own defender. 
We don't have to be our own defender. We don't have to be the one to take vengeance. Um, you know, the Lord will be our defender. The Lord will, the Lord will repay the Alexanders in our lives. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, that's that's what Paul's saying. But you also know that um, Paul's not going. Um, you know, I think Paul has forgiven Alexander. Paul is not called to reconcile with Alexander. Going back to an earlier discussion, Paul is saying the Lord will repay Alexander. But Paul's also going to say to Timothy, don't turn your back on Alexander. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Again, I think because that incident with um, metalworking creation of idols, particularly Diana. So, um, yeah, you, you, can, you need to forgive people. That doesn't mean reconcile with people. That doesn't mean being stupid. Don't turn your back sometimes. I'm not letting them keep doing it to you. I'm sure I told you the story about what my, what David, my Jewish tour guide, said in Israel when I, we were at the Holocaust Museum and we were surrounded with Germans, German-speaking people, and I asked them, and David is in Israel because he went there in 1979 because all of his family went there because he lost family to the Holocaust. And um, I asked him, I was hearing all this German German language, I said, David, how do you feel about all these Germans? He said, I, I, I have forgiven them, but I don't turn my back on them. That's what he said to me about the Germans we, he was encountering there. And, you know, all Germans are not responsible for the Holocaust, but I understand where David's coming from, too. It's taken him a while to get over that. But, um, yeah, we need to forgive. That doesn't mean reconcile. That doesn't mean put yourself back in the situation. Um, Paul is telling Timothy, beware of Alexander. Evidently, Alexander is still running around in Ephesus, probably still making his little statues of Diana there in, in Ephesus. Um, so he says, beware of him. We'll stop there. Um, so we'll start at verse 16 next week, just to whet your appetite. Let me go ahead and finish reading. At my first defense, no one, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, or Aquila, and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus. Here's where we talk about healing. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter with that cloak, by the way. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with y'all. You as plural there. So we'll finish that next week. Um, so that's enough for...